Amen. Let's go to our study inside the book of Acts so that the book of Acts can get inside of us. That's the whole point of this, inside Acts, Acts inside. And we're at chapter 2 tonight. And so let's start at the first verse of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, we'll stop right there. Okay? What is the day of Pentecost? Pentecost is not a Christian day. It is a Hebrew day. It's the Feast of Pentecost. Penta means 50. And so it came as a feast of harvest, the wheat harvest. It came 50 days after the Feast of Passover. Passover was about the first fruits harvest. And so after Passover, 50 days later is Pentecost. We know that at Passover, Jesus represented as the Passover lamb, which celebrates Israel coming out of Egypt, which was a picture of us coming out of sin, coming out of Adam and into Christ. That was Passover. And then 40 days, Jesus rose from the dead, spent 40 days with his disciples, teaching them about what? The kingdom. Good answer. The kingdom of God. And as he was teaching them the kingdom, he then ascended into heaven, didn't he? So they had 10 days to wait in what city? Jerusalem. As they're waiting in Jerusalem, they're waiting. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what's going to come next. Uh, so they're waiting, and they, in the waiting... They are moved by the Holy Spirit. They're in an upper room, probably the same room they had uh, the Last Supper with Jesus, 120 of them in the upper room. And Peter says, you know, we need to replace Judas. He has scripture, uh, prophecy to back that up. They draw lots. They get the lot for Matthias. And then the 12 is restored in their number. You remember all this. Some of you that weren't here, I'm giving you a, an overview. And so the 12, essential because 12 is the number of government. God was not going to move till his government was established in the earth and ready for what he wanted to empower it by. So now there are the 12 again. They had to qualify. They had to be at the baptism of Jesus through three years of his ministry and to his death, burial, and resurrection, see the resurrection. Lord and his ascension. There were two that could do that, and that was Barnabas or Barnas, and there was Matthias, and they drew lots, which was a work of the high priest, and God had called Matthias. Now they have the 12. Now they got a couple days left to figure out what to do. And so, verse 1 the day of Pentecost arrived. Pentecost is the harvest celebration. God's going to bless a new kind of harvest. How many of you know that? There's a new harvest now that God's looking for. It's the souls. It's not just to feed Israel. It's to feed the kingdom of God with souls. And so the day of Pentecost comes. They were all together in one place. What one place were they all together in? We all think they were in the upper room, don't we? Let me ask you this. I'm going to kind of blow your mind tonight a little bit, okay? Where would every good Jew be on the day of the Feast of Pentecost? In the temple that God had built through Solomon. There is a temple, by this time it was Herod's temple, 
and it, they were in one place. It would make perfect sense that the 120 were not in an upper room. Now, I used to preach this all the time, stuck behind a closed door. It doesn't say that. And then they were fearful in that upper room uh, until the Spirit came, and then they busted out of the room and ran into the streets. I used to preach that. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. What makes the most sense is, in fact, it says in Luke 24, 53. Write it down. Luke 24, 53. And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Where were the 12 and the 120 in those 10 days, according to Luke? In the temple every day. You look through the book of Acts, where were they gathered every day? In the temple. When Peter was on his way to the temple, people would bring out their sick and ailing people in the streets as Peter walked where? To the temple. The temple, they weren't, fear, they weren't hiding in an upper room. They were in the temple of Solomon's colonnade, Solomon's porch. Uh, let's take a look at where it was. There's a picture of the temple. And as you can see, uh, that tall building in the center is the holy place where the sacrifice would be offered and the altar. But the temple, uh, the, the, the Solomon's colonnade, would have been on the south side in this portico. And uh, so it would have been there in the side, this long corridor where people could meet. It was also the same place where Jesus went in. It's the court of the Gentiles and threw over the money tables and changers. It was in that place that they gathered. Devout Jews would assemble at the temple for the Feast of Passover, according to Leviticus, according to Deuteronomy. Every Jew, and they didn't know any different at this time, every Jew, apostles and not, would have to go to Jerusalem three times a year for each of the feasts. The Feast of Passover, Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And on that day, the day for the Feast of Pentecost, it was a Sabbath day, it was a holy day. At 9 a.m. in the morning, they would be at the temple for that feast. They had no idea what was going to happen, but they knew where they should be. Because they had expected Jesus to return or do something. So where would you want to be? In the temple. They're in the temple waiting for Jesus. And it says that it happened that the Spirit came. How do we know it came at 9 o'clock in the morning? Because Peter says when they were ridiculing him, we'll get into that in a little bit, these people are drunk and it's not even 9 a.m which is a signal that Luke puts in there because 9 a.m. is the place and the time of prayer on that Sabbath morning feast day. And so there they are, according to the book of Acts, Acts 2.15, 9 a.m., they're in the temple, not in an upper room. Acts 2.2, it says, though, let's keep reading, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Oh, see, you're wrong, Pastor. It filled the house. Yes, but that word house in the Greek, for us in English, we think of a little, little two-story house. But in fact, in the Old Testament, Solomon's porch, the temple, was called a house. 
It's frequently called the house of God. 2 Samuel 5, 7-5, it's called a house. Throughout rabbinic literature, it refers to the temple as the house. In the New Testament, Acts 7:47, the temple of Solomon is called the house. They were seated in the temple and Solomon's court where they met every day according to Luke and continued to be there. Even after Pentecost, they continued to meet at Solomon's porch where they were sitting. It's located on the south end of the Temple Mount. It was a huge open building, 303 yards long. That's three football fields long. It was huge and with giant columns holding up the roof. It could hold 30 to 50,000 people. If you had some very important information to say, to speak, and to tell, where would you go? Where would be the best place to go on a feast day? At the temple. And so they're gathered there on Shabbat or Pentecost. So Jewish men were to come from all over to celebrate the wheat harvest. And Acts tells us there are at least 16 different countries represented in the temple. All right, so let's go on here. Ready? When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. We just think it was carried over from from meeting in the upper room. That's where they had their meeting about picking another. All right, so they're in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Wow. So a mighty rushing wind came through that building, right? Wrong. What came through that building? The Holy Spirit. Sounded like a rushing wind. Is there a difference? One's wind, one's the Holy Spirit. The word for spirit in the Greek is pneuma. It means breath. Does anybody here use pneumatic tools? What is a pneumatic tool? Air pressure, air power. When God breathed into Adam, he gave the breath of God. The breath of God is the Holy Spirit, the wind of the Spirit. It sounded like a mighty rushing wind. That's what it sounded like. But it wasn't just wind. It was the very person of God in spirit filling that temple like he did when Solomon dedicated it, like he did the tabernacle when Moses dedicated it, his presence came. But this time it came not to the temple made with hands. It came to the temple that was standing in the temple. Okay? And it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. So... Everybody, 30 to 50,000 people, heard something moving on that day. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Did it rest on all the people there? No, it rested just on those who had faith in Jesus Christ. This wind, this thing, this force is coming through. People are wondering what's going on. And it lights up 120 of them. 
tongues of fire. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the Spirit of God pouring into that temple area, pouring into the new temple of God. The temple of God, remember what Jesus did to the temple when he said, it is finished? That veil was torn in two. Earthquake shook. There's a new temple. Jesus condemned that temple. It's done. And as they're standing in the temple, God ordains a new temple on planet earth. It's those who are bought with the price of the Lamb's blood. And He fills them, fills them with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. The power of the Holy Spirit caused them to begin speaking languages, known languages of all the countries of that day. This is Zena, uh, 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 instead of... Uh, um, glossolalia, this is xenolalia. Xenolalia is a known language. Glossolalia, that we have a prayer language of praying in tongues, is an unknown language. Paul makes the differentiation. But here Luke tells us that a miracle took place. A miracle took place. They began speaking. Do you remember what divided the nations? At the Tower of Babel. Language. What, just, what miracle just got brought together? The language. So that now God is going to gather all the nations back again. That's what's going on here. And so this pours out, the Holy Spirit pours out. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout Jews, Men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Who, so, so this is a, to reinforce my point again, who is being drawn to whom? The unbelievers are being drawn to the 120 that are speaking all the known languages. That's why, you see, they didn't move. They weren't in an upper room, opened the door, ran down into the streets, and started running through the streets to preach. I used to teach this. <laughs> How many of you used to think it that way? Because I was taught that. And when I read it, I read what I was taught instead of reading what it said. So here they are in this huge Colosseum, in this huge area of the temple, and the wind of the Spirit moves upon them, fire burns over their heads. They begin to utter the praises of God, exalting God in all the differing tongues and languages of the land. And it says, everybody turned, heard what they were saying, and were drawn to them. Can I tell you what, if God's moving in your life, people will be drawn to you. We're so busy trying to run and chase after people, but if we would let God have his full manifestation in us, people will come to us. Peter said that they will ask you, what is the hope that you have in you? 
If you would set Jesus as king of your heart, Peter says, always be ready to give an answer to those who ask of you. If we get ourselves filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be able to contain the people being drawn to us. This world's looking for the presence of God. They want the the Spirit of God. The fruit of God is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, goodness, mercy, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. The world's longing for that. We got it. We've got to manifest it. Amen? Now, at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one of was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished. Aren't these all those who are speaking Galileans? Let me make a point on this if I can. The 12 are all the uh, Galileans. Did you know that out of the 12, there was only one who was not a Galilean? Judas was not a Galilean. He was not a Galilean. I find that interesting. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues, what? The mighty works of God. They're praising God. They're declaring who God is. They're magnifying God, exalting all the works of His hands. Can I ask you, what would be the greatest work God had ever done? The cross of Jesus Christ. Salvation has come. They're wondering, what is going on? Something blew through here like, I I don't know, man. My hair stood on edge. Look at that. There's a flame burning over there. Isn't it just like Moses, that burning bush that flamed and burned? It consumed, but yet it didn't consume. And they're seeing, there's this 120. They're looking at each other. There's fire on their head. And they begin pouring out praise to God. Praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, exalting in tongues doesn't always have to be a prayer. It doesn't always have to be prophetic. It doesn't always have to be intercession. Do you know that you can pray in tongues just exalting the Lord God? Because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. Being so flooded and filled with the Spirit of God, you begin to exalt His majesty. Most of the time, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, what I mean by baptized is immersed in the very power of God's Spirit so that it flows out of you and out of your mouth in a prayer language. Most of the time, it happens through praise and worship. Because what are you typically doing in praise and worship? Glorifying God. Speaking. Again, remember, biblical worship always demands uh, your vocal cords to be used. The fruit of our lips. We're to exalt Him. And so, uh, if you're wondering, if you haven't been baptized and you haven't spoken in tongues, maybe it's because you haven't spoken. you got to speak. you got to speak out. Some folks are waiting. Okay, come on. I say that because that, I, I did that. And I realize I, you have to praise. You have to speak. 
And as you're speaking, as you're praising and they're giving exaltation, they begin speaking in all these Arabic, Mesopotamian, uh, uh, Greek, uh, all these languages, Italian and so forth. And they're speaking the praises of God. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others looked mocking and said, they're drunk. They're filled with new wine. Right? So what happens on this day? Peter stands up and addresses them. But hold on. It's not just Peter who stands up. It says here, but Peter, standing with the eleven. Eleven in Peter makes what? Twelve. Who stands up? The twelve. Why do the twelve stand up? They are the governing body. They are the apostles. They are the witnesses. They're not, you're not going to just have an argument with Peter. You're going to have to deal with the entire governing body of the church. The twelve. Twelve witnesses. Everything Peter says, these eleven have seen and heard as well. It's, it's to be confirmed by one or two witnesses. How many do we have on the day of Pentecost? Twelve. Twelve stand up and Peter gives voice. And Peter says this. Okay, now Peter's going to cover three things in his preaching. Uh, well, before we get to the three things he's going to preach about, he's going to tell them what just happened. They don't understand what happened. He's going to tell them what happened, and then he's going to preach to them and teach them the three things about Jesus Christ. But first, let's see what he tells them about. He says this, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Wow, what's going on over there? I don't know. That guy's talking. I got to hear this. Something just blew through here, and it's going crazy. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Nine o'clock is the time for the first sacrifice during the Feast of Pentecost. They were all there to be part of it, but something happened on that day they didn't expect to happen. It was repeated for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Something on this day was completely different. It didn't happen at the temple uh, where the sacrifices were made. It happened out on the porch. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. I like the King James. This is that. What just happened is what Joel prophesied. Ooh, I like when prophecy is right in your midst. And this is what Joel said. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So who's he going to pour his spirit on? All. Now, does that mean every single human being, God's going to pour his spirit on every human being? No. What does he mean by the term all flesh? All that are saved, but very specifically, you're talking to Jews. The only people typically who could become saved had to become a Jew. What he's saying by declaring it'll be poured out on all flesh, he means Jew and Gentile. Slave and free, male and female. 
potentially every human being, no matter what your race is, your gender is, your economic status is, God will pour His Spirit on those who believe. Can somebody say amen? amen. That's us! <laughs> Praise God! That's us. He goes on. And your sons, not the women, and your sons, oh, I think I got it wrong. Your sons and who else? Daughters. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. That's cool. So the gender doesn't matter and the age doesn't matter. Any old people here? All right, you, you raised your hand. I didn't point you out. Is there still time for the Holy Spirit to use you powerfully? Yes, age does not matter in the kingdom of God. Why are we constantly dividing up into all these age groups? We need each other. Young men, young women prophesying. You're having visions. The old men, the old women having dreams. We need dreams, not regrets. We need dreams, not nightmares. You know what a dream is? What is a hope to come? You know what a vision is? What God's doing now. We need the young people active for what's right now. We need the old people to dream of what could be. Dream past the day you're living in, old people. Stop looking at what was. I remember 20 years ago when I went to church, we did this. That ain't a dream. That's a remembrance. We're to be dreaming dreams. What could be? Somebody start dreaming a dream for this room. It's here. We're part of that ingathering. We're part of that harvest. Listen, folks. Pentecost as a feast is over. It's us. It was done on that day. Pentecost is us. It's here. It was fulfilled. Okay? You know, we have, we have as Christians, uh, everybody wants to celebrate the feasts, the Jewish feasts, and get us drawn closer to Jesus. So let's celebrate the feast. Let's dress up like Jewish people and celebrate the feast. It's like, dude, you are the feast. <laughs> you know? <laughs> we feel closer to God if we look Jewish. No, you are the feast of Pentecost. It was fulfilled in us. I've got the fire of Pentecost still burning in me. How about you? It never went out from that day. And it's not about wheat. It's about souls. And it's not about a temple sacrifice. It's about Christ's sacrifice living in me. Come on. We are Pentecost. In fact, they call us Pentecostals. Why? Because of this. Let's keep going. <laughs> All right. Even on your male servants and female servants, in those days I'll pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. Isn't it cool? We dealt with the age issue. We dealt with the gender issue. We dealt with the economic issue. Slave or free, Jew or uh, Gentile, ma male or woman, Right? So he said that's what he was pointing at. And he mentions prophecy twice. He mentions visions and dreams. And what did we do with all that as a church? Oh, I'm sorry, that all faded away in the first century. Really? 
Like, what, are we done with our job? Is that it? Did everybody get saved? The Spirit of God done with it? Well, no, 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 no. You've got the Bible. Yeah, well, if this Bible ain't alive in me, it's doing no good to somebody. Bring the fire to them. There should be dreams, visions, prophecies. Thus saith the Lord, God moving, God moving in our lives and moving in our midst. Amen? And he said this, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord uh, shall be saved. The Greek word for saved is what? Sozo. What have we done as a church through our years? uh, Again, we've eliminated the gifts of the Spirit, not us, but many have eliminated the gifts of the Spirit, visions, dreams, prophecies, tongues, interpretation, all that, and they've minimized saved to simply mean born again from Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ. that's, That's enough, really. It would have been enough. That's awesome. But How many of you know my God's got so much more? The word sozo doesn't just mean salvation. Salvation means healed, delivered, wholeness, blessed. All of what God has brought in His kingdom, the will of heaven, what heaven is like is available to you. Sozo does so much of that. How many of you want that? I want that. We heard testimonies tonight of deliverance and healing. That's prophetic happening right here, right now. Can you believe for deliverance and healing for your life? If it happened to them, why can't it happen to you? Amen. We go on. So he tells them what just happened. Now he's got to explain it. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wondrous signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, it's only been 50 days since his ministry, right? Okay, so a couple months ago, you knew what he was doing, you know his name, you know what happened, God proved it. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It didn't take God by surprise, God planned this thing. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Again, we have them cowering in an upper room, afraid, till they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Here, this guy, they're out in the middle of these guys. There's tens of thousands of people there. And he's saying... You killed him. He's not shy. (laughs) God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says, now he's going to tell them what David the prophet says, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let the Holy One See corruption, another name for Messiah. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now, Peter's saying that. Think he had a a scroll with him? How was he speaking? Holy Spirit. 
just prophesying, declaring what King David wrote. Had it memorized, had it known, Holy Spirit calls it forth. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. In fact, from the southern court of Solomon's temple is right around the corner. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to hell, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. I would imagine when he said that, he went like this. Because who was standing with him? The twelve. His posse. The boys. And who else? 120 others. Mary, mother of Jesus. James, his brothers. Right? Those 120. Were those 120 ready to give their lives right then and there? Absolutely. Absolutely. We are witnesses of what we're talking about. How many of you have the boldness to say you're a witness for Jesus Christ? I'm a witness. I'm a witness. Doesn't matter what the situation is. I'm a witness. At all times, I'm a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. This Jesus God raised up, and on that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has raised both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Could they deny that they saw something, heard something in that temple court? They saw the hand of God move. They didn't understand it. They didn't get it. And so they needed the witnesses to explain it to them. Get ready, church. Get ready for what God is about to do on planet earth through the church. There are going to be signs and wonders and mighty moves of God and the world will be confounded so what they need are the witnesses to let them know what they just saw and heard what you saw was Jesus Christ moving now this literally is the gospel that Peter preached it's the first sermon we see there's in fact much more to what he said but we don't have it written Now, again, Peter is giving the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus was crucified, dead and buried, rose from the dead, and don't forget this most essential part, ascended into heaven. You know, for some reason, many of us forget that part. In in the preaching, in many churches, we talk about Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus' death and resurrection. We wouldn't have anything if he didn't ascend he ascended to do what to intercede for his body 
He's the head. His body is still in the earth. He is ministering the will of God into the earth through his kingdom authority of his body. You see, when we just focus on his death and resurrection, death and resurrection, we're talking about the past. And most people are talking about the past half the time about Jesus, his death and resurrection. Somebody talk about his ascension. Because right now we have a man interceding from the throne of God to planet earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's got a body that he is pouring and interceding and praying, giving dreams and visions and prophecies and words and interpretations to be functioning in the earth. Yeah. Yeah. It's alive. It's vibrant. It's supposed to be moving and shaking down here. Amen? All right, let's keep going. Whew! Verse 36. All right, he laid it out. Now, says, when they heard this, they were what? Cut to the heart. Can I tell you what, when the Spirit of God moves, the preaching's easy. You know, you don't save anybody. It's the Spirit of God. You don't have to be profound. You don't have to have all the theological answers. You pray for the Holy Spirit. Pray for the Spirit to move. When the Spirit moves, I'm telling you, the work of the Spirit is done. You just had to preach, and it cut into their heart. And and Peter says, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do? How many of you would love that? Man, they're just, okay, full conviction. I'm completely convicted by what you just said. What am I to do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus the Messiah for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and believe. What does repent mean? To turn from your sin, to turn from your wicked ways. And now this is tough, though, on the Jews. It's not only returning from sin, repenting from sin, it's actually going to be turn from what you thought was salvation to the new understanding of salvation. And believe in whom? Jesus. In his death, burial, and resurrection. Not just that he was a historical figure. Not that just you, you know information about Jesus. You have to trust and believe in your heart that he died for you, he was crucified and buried for you, and he ascended, I'm sorry, rose from the dead, which means his uh, sacrifice was accepted and ascended to heaven. And then you will receive the person of the Holy Spirit in you. Because you can't have the holiness of God in you if your sins are not dealt with and washed away. Once your sin's dealt with, guess who can abide in you? Holy Spirit. The Spirit of holiness comes into you. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. I love this promise. He keeps expanding it, doesn't it? Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free. You, your sons, your children. Anybody here want to deny your children salvation? 
you and your children, for all who are afar off. What's that's a reference to? The whole world. Far off from Jerusalem, far off from the temple, far off from the presence. Because this ain't the house anymore. You're the house. Now go. Take it. All right? Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. You see, we only have the Reader's Digest condensed version that Luke put in here of what he preached. It says he had a lot more to say. Typical preacher. He had a lot more to say. He went on and on. He continued to exhort them. And finally he said, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. All right. Let me ask you this. On a feast day in Israel, all these people are Jews. How do you water baptize 3,000 Jews? Where are you going to get the water? Now, in the temple, there are mitzvah, there are baptismal tanks. Peter's a fisherman. Who gives him the right to start using those sacred tanks? So I don't think he used the baptismal fonts that were in the temple. It's a, here's the other problem. It's a Sabbath day. It would violate the Sabbath to start baptizing people in the water. Could they take a walk down to the Jordan? Can you imagine 3,000 people? I don't know if you've ever been to Jerusalem. You can't fit 3,000 people down those narrow roads. I don't think that this is a reference to water baptism. I think that they eventually got water baptized, but I think that they repented. I think they believed, and I think they were immediately baptized in the Holy Spirit right then and there, added to the church. That's the baptism. Because you can't baptize 3,000 people in just a few hours. When I was in China, I had to baptize about 50 or 40 people. And it took us about four hours trying to go, you know, praying over them, doing this and getting to the, you know. You could do a, 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 a line, but again, it's a Sabbath day. They're Jews. They can only walk so far. They can't go to the river. It's too far of a walk on a Sabbath day. They can't use the pools because these are not Levitical priests. Okay? So all I'm pointing out is I think when they believed, they were baptized. What does baptism mean? One element going into another element to become one. They were baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. I would believe they began praying in tongues and they were speaking out. Now, 3,000 saved. We talked about it last week. Chris, you made reference to it. The Feast of Pentecost celebrates the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. God is giving the law and writing it into people's hearts. At Mount Sinai, they had began worshiping a cow, an idol, and Moses had to come down. He smashed the law, the Ten Commandments, and he rebuked them. He uh, killed 3,000 for their idolatry. So the day the law was given, it brought death. The day that the Spirit was given, it brought life, eternal life. Now let's summarize what happened. This is what Luke's going to do. And they devoted themselves 
to four things. You've got the church now, 3,120 plus 12. 3,132. Right? So what did they do? You've got a church now. God calls them on the first day. Within the first few hours, you have the church. As soon as someone's born again, you've got the church. Amen? All right, so he goes on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching. Again, I have to stress how important this is. Chapter 1 was establishing the foundation of the government of God in the 12. On the day of Pentecost, you needed the 12 as the witnesses and the authority to speak as to what this is that's happening and to uh, delegate it and to uh, restrain it in the sense of what it is and what it is not. The apostles' doctrine is the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The minute we leave the apostles' doctrine, the minute we water down the apostles' doctrine, the minute we say, I don't think it's uh, uh, inspired, you have just left the orthodoxy of the church. Do you know how many churches are doing that? Can't have that. We've got the witness of the twelve. Then it went on and it said they had koinonia, fellowship. They shared all their belongings. Remember, you've got 3,000 now living in Jerusalem. They're hanging out. They came from all different nations. Now they're living in Jerusalem. I didn't bring my change of clothes. I don't have any cash with me. It's all right, brother. We're the church. We're together now. You got born again. Here, take my extra shoes that I got. You see, that's what's going on here. You've got 3,000 people from around the world now camping out in Jerusalem. So they're giving everything uh, and sharing everything. And they have fellowship. It says the breaking of bread. That's not just eating. All right, That is sharing in the fellowship of Christ through the communion. And last of all, praying. What's important is it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles doctrine there is a very specific apostles doctrine to the fellowship that is the fellowship of the believers to the breaking of bread that's a very specific meal that we're taking together the Passover meal that last supper bread and wine and the prayers the prayers of the saints aren't just any old prayers of the Jews aren't just any old prayers they're the prayers that matter that are essential Amen? That's what happened. Now, I just want to close tonight in the last few minutes. And I want you to have an experience in the Holy Spirit. You may have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You believe He died for your sins. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And you believe He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God and is executing the will of God and praying on your behalf. You've received the Holy Spirit once you're saved. Everybody that's saved has the person of the Holy Spirit. You don't get a portion of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I'm sharing with you. The special place is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives. Maybe you didn't see tongues of fire. Maybe you didn't hear a mighty rushing wind. But the person of the Holy Spirit is within you. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. What I want you to experience is that release, that baptism, that fullness of the Holy Spirit through praising God and all of His goodness and allowing the Holy Spirit to use you to speak Holy Spirit language and worship. 
So we're going to go into worship just for a few minutes tonight just to give you a sense of what it means to open up to God. Some of you have the Spirit language. Some of you that want to be baptized, immersed, and allow the Holy Spirit to pray out of you, we want to pray for you. We're going to take this time for you to praise God. It's a word of faith, an act of faith to begin speaking. It may sound foolish to you, but it is the Holy Spirit releasing and moving through your mouth using your vocal cords to praise God. So let's stand together tonight, okay? Let's worship Him. Let's exalt Him.